Blog Talk Radio. June 28th, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and here in the studio with me today is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. We definitely need him for our second hour discussion of The Man of Steel. But here's what I have on the agenda for us to talk about today. First... I think I'm just doing a little bit something unusual that you probably haven't heard over and over all week on the various talk shows. I'm going to discuss the story. It was on Drudge, but I haven't heard people talk about it. Uh, Christine Lagarde, she's the managing director of the IMF. She said that, quote, climate change will drive job creation, end quote. And we'll talk about how wrong it is from a few different perspectives. And you'll wonder why this woman is in charge of the IMF. Second, Obama is pretending like it's just not that big of a deal to him to extradite Edward Snowden. Yep. Sour grapes, probably, because he's had no success doing it. In the meantime, The Guardian is giving us more details about our government's massive surveillance programs, details that we know thanks to Snowden, of course. Third, the Supreme Court's rulings this week, exactly how are they favorable to gay marriage? I think a couple headlines got it wrong here and there. And also a discussion of the gay marriage issue as well. Um, so if you want to go ahead and join in on this discussion, you can do so by phone at 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760 760- 888-5817. You can also join in in the chat room. I see a number of people in the chat room. A lot of our usual suspects. Yay, I'm so glad because we are on a new time right now. We are going to be broadcasting at this time from 12 to 2 for the foreseeable future. There is an exception next week. Unfortunately, I hate to do this, change the schedule and then say, but next week we have no show. But next week I'm going to go for one weekend only to the Objectivist Conference in Chicago. So I will be missing the one Friday show. What I plan to do is something that I learned from Tammy Bruce, which is to put dispatches out through SoundCloud. Through SoundCloud. So go to SoundCloud.com, get familiar. I will be posting a link soon uh, at, you know, where you can find me at my account on SoundCloud. And what I'll do is I'll bring my little portable devices and post little missives from the Objectivist Conference. It should be good. I have heard from your own Brooke that the enrollment at the conference is up this year from last year. Yeah. This is always good to see. Every time I ask him, it seems to be up a little bit each year, particularly in today's economy. I think that is a really good sign. Uh, I also look forward to meeting in person Jonathan Honig, who I see hanging out in the chat room right now. Uh, we've talked a lot. Hey, and he, yeah, hey, uh, Bosch says hi, too. But we've uh, talked a lot, and Jonathan was kind enough to do a last-minute interview with me on Tammy Bruce's show, so it'll be great to be able to thank him in person. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive in. I want to just, like I said, talk about this IMF case. Um, 
All it is is somebody was talking to Christine Lagarde. She's the managing director of the International Monetary Fund. And they were asking her about how job growth can occur when workers are getting displaced by automation. That's what they're asking her about. And in response, she says, oh, well, climate change will create jobs. She says it will create disasters before it creates jobs, but it will create jobs. Okay. So how many on how many levels is this wrong? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's there's got to be like four or five different angles. And actually, also, Jonathan, if you want to call in and you tell me I've missed something here, because my economic knowledge is fairly rudimentary, but I've pointed out you know, to myself a few things about this that just really, really bothered me. First of all, um, if you talk about climate change creating jobs, from their perspective, climate change is a horrible disaster, yes. much like... Somebody breaking a window, yes, right? right? So what, what what comes to mind? This is a, it, yeah, it's an instance of the broken window fallacy. And in fact, I went and dug up a quote from Frederick Bastiat, and he was writing in 1850. I think it's a little essay or a monograph called "That Which Is Seen and That Which Is Not Seen," and you can find it at bastiat.org, I believe, is the URL. But there's a little section in it called "The Broken Window." And he's describing the whole thing about the broken window fallacy. You know, look, he says, uh, suppose a kid breaks a window. And then he says, suppose it costs six francs to repair the damage. And you say that the accident brings six francs to the glazier's trade. The glazier, the guy who makes the windows. Uh, That it encourages that trade to the amount of six francs. I grant it. He He says, I have not a word to say against it. You reason justly. The glazier comes, performs his task, receives his six francs, rubs his hands, and in his heart blesses the careless child. All this is that which is seen. And then he says, well, on the other hand, if you come to the conclusion, as is too often the case, that it is a good thing to break windows, he goes on to say that you're wrong. He says, it is not seen that as our shopkeeper has spent six francs upon one thing, he cannot spend them upon another. It is not seen that if he had not had a window to replace, he would perhaps have replaced his old shoes or added another book to his library. In short, he would have employed his six francs in some way, which this accident had prevented. So then he goes on to say, you know, oh, you think that it's stirring up business in the economy, but actually from the economy, it's, you know, a, a kind of a zero-sum game. There's right. nothing. If, if you spend it on one, you can't spend it on the other. And then he says, if the window had not been broken, this shopkeeper would have spent the six francs on his shoes, and he would have had at the same time the enjoyment of a pair of shoes and of a window. Right. So he's losing the enjoyment of, say, the pair of shoes or the book that he would have spent the money on. He says, when we arrive at this unexpected conclusion that, quote, society loses the value of things which are uselessly destroyed, and then he says, we must assent to a a maxim which will make the hair of protectionists stand on end. He says, to break, to spoil, to waste is not to encourage national labor, or more briefly, destruction is not profit. 
And you hear the same thing with respect to war. If you have right. war, it's going to right. generate economy. Uh, you know, in fact, there are temporary effects sure. on an economy. There was a little snippet on uh, Drudge about the new rich in Afghanistan, okay. that there's all these people that are propped up by our intervention in Afghanistan, and what are they going to do when we're out of there? It, it, it's all phony. It's all garbage, and it is actually destruction of value. This is what she cites as an example of that's something that's going to help create jobs because all these workers are displaced by automation. I think this is the last gasp of a global warming scam. Yeah. Where they have to bring up it's actually a value. And so it's an economic value now. I mean, we can actually Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, well, this is the other yeah. thing, right? That's exactly one of my points, which is, well, maybe now climate change is good from their perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Powell in the chat room, he's impatient for <laughs> our yeah. uh, for our discussion of Man of Steel because he he says General Zod, the villain of Man <laughs> of Steel, created a lot of jobs according to this How many windows of course, did he break? Of course. So <laughs> so so that's one example. And then the the article that I'm looking at to, you know, Citing here is from the Hill. It was written by Ben Jamin, G E M E N, six twenty seven thirteen. It says uh, the IMF climate change will create jobs, which is just such garbage, right? But here's the other example. Here's the other example that she gives. She says jobs also will come from quote caring for aging populations end quote. Okay. That's the other place that jobs are going to come from. So it's climate change, which people like her think is a horrible yeah, thing. And yeah. actually, the, if know. if it's true, it right. is destroying things, it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if if there is you know uh, global warming, so to speak, it means that there's uh, some value destroyed, like tornadoes and all of that. But so so there's that, and then there's aging populations. Now, aging is a fact of life. Yeah. It's nice if people can live longer. But the idea that you need to be cared for is kind of a downer. Right. So she's she's putting these two downer things as this is where people are going to have jobs. She is so pessimistic, so negative, so icky. It's dreary. Yeah. It's it's horrible, right? Um, so dishonest. I, now, I I don't know why. I mean, maybe she you know she let she let her hair go gray. Like she's she's one of the you've seen the picture of this woman, right? No. She's got this very striking white hair that she's let go, and she's she's tanned and everything. She has the potential. She needs to put some makeup on. She needs not to be so dreary. This woman, she's so dreary. Well, Those are know, the two examples. Well, look at the women that Obama picks. I mean, just look at them. Seriously. Well, no, but this is not Obama's okay. pick. This right, is not Obama's right. pick. This it's is the the, oh, right, right, the, the right, head right. of the, the International European. Monetary Fund. Right, 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 okay, right. Um, but this but is. But you know that the, is a front of Obama. These are the two examples that they cite in this article that she's given for where the jobs are. So, I mean, what about high tech jobs to support all the automation? Right. right. Or suppose she's talking about well, these people aren't qualified for these high tech jobs. So what are they going to do? Well, are they totally? Uh, you know, kind of relegated to just cleaning up after climate change or cleaning up after our aging populations. I mean, is this all that they can have to look My forward God. to if their job has been eliminated due to automation? No, not at all. Think about this. Automation increases productivity. If people's productivity is increased, they are going to have more demand for luxury items. Items that they can use to make their free time more enjoyable. So what about a job in a pleasant service industry, right. like a waiter in a really high-end restaurant where you have the luxury of providing very personalized service and actually interacting with 
your customers, Did right? Did you bring up funeral homes? Did she bring up? I mean, she should have talked about <laughs> you know, funeral homes or the, uh, what else? Garbage involved? collecting, yeah. right? Right. There's going to be more garbage to collect because yeah. of our increasing population. Um, what else? She's like, I don't know. I mean, they, we can come up with some more dreary Very stuff. Very ugly. Right? Um, why not, you know, they people are going to have more time to engage in industries like being chefs, right? Being chefs of wonderful fine food because there's more of a demand right. for fine food because everyone else is more productive because of the automation. More people can be artists because there's more demand for artwork. I mean, she's so dreary. It's just so sad. And and if you think, okay, first of all, she's there's this little broken window fallacy implication uh, yep. in climate change creating jobs. Right. If, if climate change is destructive, it's just destructive. It's destroying values. It's it's, it's a net loss. Um, but then this idea of all she's got as the suggestions for this displaced workforce yeah. is, you know, cleaning up after climate change and cleaning up after aging. I just I just found it yeah. totally horrible. And and I'm thinking this is the woman who's the head of the IMF. It's just dreary and depressing. So let's see what we've got here in a reaction to this in the chat room. Michael um, Randall under a shattered glass on headphones. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my yeah, Michael in the chat room says his daughter shattered the glass on the iPhone. So the mall kiosk owner is happy, but yeah, he couldn't spend $170 on something else. It's exactly the same thing. Uh, Tim in the chat room says automation makes products cheaper for poor people, so it increases their purchasing power. Right. Yes. All the way throughout, there's going to be increased purchasing power. Uh, and then we've got an image posted by it in the chat room. But if I open another window, I'm scared. It's yeah, going to destroy yeah. my <laughs> Internet connection and make your sound uh, horrible to listen to out there. Uh, Jonathan in the chat room says that through 2011, Obama spent $90 billion on green energy products to supposedly create uh-huh. 16,000 jobs, which is $5.6 million per job. I mean, that's just. Oh, <sighs> he's got a link there in the chat room too, as well. No, they can't it. outright say we want to destroy the country. They can't outright say that, so they have to do, make these uh, pretenses. I mean, they have to make these pretenses. Yeah. Anyway, I just, Jonathan, you tell me if someone like this should be running the IMF. That's what I want to see you post there in the chat room, or if you want, go ahead and, and call in again. If people want to call in, seven six zero eight eight eight. Five eight one seven is the number. So the next thing we wanted to just kind of continue a little bit from last week, gloating about Obama having a bad time. I just, I just thought that it's so much fun if, if Obama ever has a bad week. You know, I'm, I'm thinking that some people at Blog Talk Radio were put off by the title mm. that I posted for my show last week because I said Schadenfreude. Right, I actually right. put it in there. People might think, what is she doing posting I some guess. foreign language or something? I don't know. But, uh, no, but Schadenfreude. That everybody knows yeah. what this is. Yeah, we were we were having a good time last week because Obama was having a bad time. Exactly. And here is Obama trying to talk about Snowden and say, oh, you know, it's really no big deal if if we're having no luck extraditing this yeah. guy. Take take a listen to this clip here. We are going through the regular legal channels uh, that are involved when we try to extradite somebody. Uh, I have not called President Xi personally, or President Putin personally. And the reason is because, uh, number one, I shouldn't have to. This is something that routinely is dealt with uh, between law enforcement officials in various countries. Uh, Number two, we've got a whole lot of business that we do with China 
and Russia, and I'm not going to have one case of uh, a suspect who we're trying to extradite uh, suddenly being elevated to the point where I've got to start doing wheeling and dealing and trading on a whole host of other issues uh, simply to get a guy uh, extradited so that he can face uh, the justice system here in the United States. My continued expectation is that uh, Russia or other countries that have talked about potentially providing Mr. Snowden asylum recognize that they are part of an international community and that they should be abiding by international law. Um, and we'll continue to press them as hard as, uh, as, hard as we can uh, to make sure that they do so. Uh, but, but, but let me, one last thing, because you asked a, a final question. Uh, no, I'm not going to be scrambling jets uh, to get a 29-year-old uh, hacker. So does he sound pathetic or what? Uh, Robert in the chat room said he sounds like he's reading it off a teleprompter. As far as I can tell, Robert, no, he wasn't. I actually did watch the video. Ew. That's why he was, he was pausing with those, uh, you know, yeah, those, 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 those um, like mini burps. Um, um, yeah. Um, yeah, he doesn't do that as much. When, and and when, also, he has no, he doesn't care. Well, this guy, I mean, you know, because he's been called trade everything, he doesn't give a rat's ass about... about well, here, here's, here's what came to mind, right? When, yeah, when but he, also because... Yeah, right. right. When, when, he, when he says, oh, I didn't call right. the leaders of, of China <laughs> and Russia, right? I didn't call them. He's basically saying, look, you know, it, it's okay if they haven't extradited him for us yet because... You know, I really didn't put it all out there. I didn't put it all on the line. Right. It's not like I really invested myself in it. And why so not? it's not like I've really been turned down exactly. and told to go screw off yes. by. So I haven't China. officially been told to go, you know, <laughs> whatever yourself. Right. Exactly right. That's why he hasn't called them. That's why. Exactly right. Yeah. He. I mean, basically, the thing that came to my mind is what was the year when he was all confident that he was going to get the Olympics to come to Chicago? It was right. Yeah. Remember, he oh, went, yeah. went and there went overseas. Yeah, it, everybody was really sick of him because he was so arrogant. He was sure that all around the world they loved him so much that we were going to be given the Olympics yep. and everything. And now I think he's learned. He's he's finally learning, or somebody's hitting it into his head that. They don't love him. They're not going to well, do everything that he says. I mean, why, the, why in the world should China, Absolute to whom we contempt for him? Yeah, to China, to whom we owe so much money. Yeah. Why should they turn Snowden over? I mean, they're just laughing. And at the same time, Russia. I mean, they're arming Assad at the, at the same time as we're talking about arming the rebels, and he's right. laughing his butt off. So, what, what in the world does he care? So here's Obama saying, oh, I didn't really try that hard. Right. That guy's just a, a 29-year-old hacker, right? right? And and it's, it's, no not, it's, it's no big deal. And, and no, I'm not going to scramble some jets for that. At the same time, behind the scenes, you know oh, he yeah. is sweating, sweating, oh, sweating, yeah. sweating, sweating, sweating. I love it. Um, in, in the meantime, The Guardian UK continues to release information. They continue to report the news uh, about America. Yeah. yeah. Unlike us. Uh, yeah, unlike the news here. But, of course, you know, The Guardian got the scoop on this uh, thanks to Greenwald, right? Greenwald being the, the journalist who buddied up with Snowden. But in any event, there is a new story today that I have. NSA – actually, it was published yesterday, Thursday, June 27th. NSA collected email records in bulk for more than two years mm. under Obama. Mm. Obama, you are a big – hypocrite. Right. 
what I have noted also that I saw as a headline on Dredge is that while we are getting misinformation about the surveillance programs, Department of Defense computers, which are the computers that all of our servicemen and women use in order to learn news about the world, they are blocked from seeing the stories hmm. about the surveillance wow. programs. Of course, NSA is probably also part of that as well. Right. And so I think there's some things going on. They don't want any of these people, maybe particularly the NSA people who would be part of this DOD network, uh, they don't want them to get any ideas of all this stuff that's being leaked and maybe get ideas themselves. You know, maybe Snowden is going to be the first of many who are maybe. brave enough to say, I don't like this huge, massive 1984-style surveillance right. program that's being put out there. Um, you know, Bosch gave me an article earlier this week, and I didn't include it because it's nothing that is actually happening yet, and it's nothing that the government mm. is planning on using yet. But they are talking, and you may have seen the article floating out there, they're talking about putting cameras in our cable boxes, the little box in which you get your cable signal that sits on top of your TV. It also has your DVR, say you have DVR features and stuff like that. They'll just put a little camera in there so that they can watch you while you're watching TV. And, and what the are the reactions for advertising and all this. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's the so if, if you smile and you look interested when they play certain types of commercials, if you wince and you look away or whatever, if you get mad at other types of commercials, is... they either will or won't play certain of those commercials to you again, uh, whatever, that's the, supposedly their purpose. I think that's hideous anyway. Yes. And I and, assume, and again, it is because of the climate that we're in today that they would even think of doing anything like that. Well, I mean, I mean, businesses are always going to try to figure out ways to make yeah, money, but right? that is sick. It is it, sick. I mean, this is your it home. It is sick. But think about this. In, in a truly free market, what would happen? And we don't have a truly free market in cable. As far as I know, if oh. I want cable, I get to sign up with one and only one company per geographic area, right? But um, what would happen is... If you agreed to the little camera in your box huh. and you agreed to be part of their little surveys about, you know, how good commercials are and blah, 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 you would get a discount. Mm -hmm. You would have highly discounted cable service. And then you could choose if you don't want the creepy camera. And know that someone's watching. It's just ugh, sick. I know. But anyway, this is the wave of what's coming. But the problem is, is that if that starts, and it's you sharing your information about what you're watching and how you react to it with your cable company, then thanks to the third-party doctrine again, which I've talked about over and over, you're sharing that information with a third party, the cable company or the advertisers or whoever. Those companies can share the information with the government, and it's not a search. It's not covered by the Fourth right. Amendment. Right. So exactly. this is just the part of you know what's coming. And the government's but, the government's watching this, no doubt about it. They're not they're not different. They're like, oh, whoa, whoa, we can get actually some more information that way. But also one thing, can you just bring up that that line from the Fountainhead, which I ran about uh, society of privacy towards. Uh, oh, civilization is a progress towards a society of privacy. And but, we are going so far away from that. It's just, I mean, year after year after year. But the reason is because of the legal environment. Yeah. The legal environment, the the law in privacy is not consonant with technological advance. Right. 
it's it's just not and it's only a matter of time before everything just kind of implodes on itself because of this but let let's give you some of the news today uh, Obama, hypocrite, disgusting rat that he is. I hope you're listening, somebody from the administration. See, I'm, I'm actually, I'm hoping that my show starts to get blocked from these DOD computers right. because, after all, I'm giving out this information too, right? Uh, the Obama administration says for more than two years permitted the NSA to continue collecting mm. vast amounts of records detailing the email and Internet usage of Americans according to secret documents obtained by The Guardian. Gee, I don't know how. Could no, it be because of Snowden? This is a new story. Oh, no, this is a, but what they're doing is they're gradually leaking the information because out. Because it would be too, too devastating. Well, and let's keep beating up Obama, you know. I mean, let's keep making it look incredible. bad for him. Let's keep giving the company, I mean com- companies, countries, the countries, to whom Snowden wants to, you yeah. know, move or appeal to asylum and stuff. He wants to get asylum from these countries. Let's give those countries additional motivation to grant him asylum, yeah. to see that it's very important because what the United States is doing is wrong, 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 Think about wrong. this. Also, again, like the Bolton and others who, are, who call him a traitor and do it very passionately, very angrily. Again, we wouldn't have known about this if not for Snowden. I know I've been hitting it over and over again, but it's absolutely true. And they got, they have no problem with it. They have no problem with prison. They bypass it. They say, well, you know, that's government, okay? Well, and then, Cheney, and, and then here's Bolton. the thing, here's the thing. They say, oh, well, that's only about foreigners. And no. it's, and, and well, here's the thing. If you, if you read the fine print, it's not just about no, foreigners. That's the what, big, what, big well, problem. And this is the thing. What they try to do is they try to get in through the idea that there's one foreigner who is a party right. to a communication. But Americans yeah. Americans are party to communications with foreigners all the sure. time. So the average American the average American, anybody who has any friends in any you know, foreign jurisdictions you your stuff is being collected too. Moreover, some of the programs apply entirely to what they call US persons, people in the United States. The Verizon program that was leaked, metadata from your phone calls. All people in the United States, no. all Verizon customers, no. not just foreigners, done entirely under the authority of that third-party doctrine. So it's not just about foreigners. And moreover, this article let – me, let me get a couple more facts out of this article here. Uh, this article that it, from The Guardian, again, it's from yesterday, Thursday, 27th of June. This is more, uh, more information. It's damning about Obama because it says that he continued to collect U.S. email records in bulk for more than two mm. years. Hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. Then it says, even though that specific program ended in late 2011, additional secret NSA documents seen by The Guardian show that some collection of Americans, Americans, online records continues today. In December 2012, for example, the NSA launched one new program allowing it to analyze communications with one end inside the U.S., leading to a doubling of the amount of data passing through its filters. Uh, then the Obama administration argues that the internal checks on the NSA surveillance is, you know, protecting our privacy, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe you. You also say that the TSA pat-downs at the airports mm-hmm. are consonant with our privacy, and they are right. not. They are not consistent with Americans having any dignity whatsoever. Nope. Um, but... Uh, the other thing with email, this is email metadata, right? And um, 
there, what the article is saying here is that while phone data, all the phone data that was collected by the government is something that is shown to the phone company because it's something that is part of your phone bill, right? So the, the phone numbers that you write to, I mean, excuse me, the phone numbers that you call are part of your phone bill. The text numbers, the phone numbers of the texts that you write, the, whoever you write to, that is actually overseas. part of your bill. Um, the the length of the text can be part of your bill. So this information is shared with your phone company for purposes of doing business, so arguably is legal because of this stupid, disgusting third-party doctrine. Email's different. We do not get bills based on to whom we send email, right? Right. right. I don't get a bill based on that. No. You just sign up for your Internet service. You send a certain amount of data. This is not part of the bill. So if this metadata is being collected by the government, this is not something that we share with the company routinely for purposes of doing business. This is something that probably the government is ordering our Internet service providers mm. to store, even though they have no real business purpose of doing so. And that's where I think it's disgusting. They do the same thing with the banks. The banks have no business purpose for recording no. all transactions above a certain amount. Right. And yet the government requires them to record it and to report it yeah. to the government. Uh, this is this this has got to go. And I'm really glad that Greenwald, I mean, you can say that the Guardian is some liberal rag or whatever it is. Who is reporting this? <laughs> I mean, this quote-unquote liberal rag. Yeah. I mean, this is this is, we are in an upside-down world. Tom in the chat room here brings up a good point. He says, what about the company? Does the company have no right to privacy? And yes, Tom, that's exactly the point. The point is, is that in a proper society, this would all be governed by the rights to property and contract. And a company's property right, you know, they all say, oh, well, the company owns that data. So since right, you don't right, own it right. anyway, what right. do you care? Uh, in a proper society, that company might be entitled to the data as part of your contract with the company, but then it would be the company's data. And you could have and would have an agreement with the company that the company would not disclose that data to anyone absent a search warrant based on probable cause, based on particularized suspicion. Ed in the chat room says, yeah, metadata is private data. Don't let them confuse you. And it definitely is. If, you, if you're talking about Internet metadata, you are talking about the IP address from which you sent an email, the email address from which you sent it, the email address to which Text. you sent it. Um, if you're talking about Internet metadata, you're talking about browsing histories. You're talking about the times mm. of your browsing, um, whether you clicked on certain ads whether you clicked on the read more thing on something. So they can literally, and I was uh, reading, I can't remember if it was this article or another a passage of it, but they can literally follow your train of thought if they look at your internet browsing data. And it's almost, as one uh, reporter was writing, it's almost like reading someone's diary right. because you're following the train of thought of things that they're mm. looking at. So, the, the, you know, the idea that, oh, it's only metadata and it's no big deal and it's really belonging to them anyway and blah, 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 blah. A bunch of garbage. A bunch of garbage. It's a completely invalid legal doctrine that is not, I believe, consistent with the Fourth Amendment. We do need to really enforce the Fourth Amendment as Rand Paul and other people have been calling for. So that was a mouthful. 
Anybody want to call in and talk about this? 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. A reminder, it's a two-hour show uh, from now on. That's true. Yeah, I we think it's do. worth mentioning again. Yeah, we do. We do have a two-hour show. So it is going to be the second hour for Man of Steel, and we do have a big and important topic to discuss now, so I wanted to save plenty of time for it. And that is the historic win, as they call it at the Wall Street Journal, the historic win for gay marriage. I've got a nice Wall Street Journal article that sums up what happened this week in the Supreme Court. It was updated June 26th in the evening, and it discusses both rulings. First, the Supreme Court striking down the Defense of Marriage Act. One thing that's just funny from a political standpoint is that Bill Clinton mm, right, who cheered the striking down of the Defense of Marriage Act, <laughs> yeah, he, and he signed it into right. law. Well, he's a piece of crap. I mean, that's what he is. So. I, I'm trying to think of what is more brazen. <laughs> Hillary Clinton running for president after Benghazi. Yeah. Uh, Hillary Clinton having put out their T-shirts yeah. with a little line drawing of her face on it saying very, ready or very, something uh, like ready. Very um, appealing drawing. A little too appealing. A little too charitable. A little too, uh, yeah, charitable, very, as, as we might very, very uh, call kind. it. Yeah, very, very, very kind. Uh, so that's pretty brazen yeah. right now to put that out there. And then here he is, cheering the striking down and, you know, of if, a if law that he signed public, into law. If there was one decent reporter said, uh, Mr. President, you signed this into law. <laughs> I can't let you, you know, just stand there and get away with it. But, of course, there wasn't, so. No, no, this is this is nuts. So what happens? They strike down the Defense of Marriage Act. What the Defense of Marriage Act did is it denied federal benefits, spousal benefits, to people who were in same-sex marriages. So even if a particular state recognized a same-sex marriage, you would not get federal benefits. And if you go to the WallStreetJournal.com, they have, if you go ahead and, and find this particular article, uh, they have as one of the kind of um, supplementary pieces that you can click on on the left-hand side and that I'm sure my metadata showed that I clicked on and I looked at. Uh, it's called a cheat sheet for the two rulings. And then if you go ahead and look at that, which is a nice, helpful little Q&A there, they have a link to... Uh, just a, a list that kind of starts the list of over 1,000 federal laws hmm. that this affects. There are over 1,000 federal laws hmm. that specify benefits for spouses and stuff that were affected by the Defense of Marriage wow. Act. So now all of those benefits would be granted to same-sex couples so long as the particular state recognizes same-sex marriage. It's a very tricky yeah. line that they're trying to navigate here, right? Because you're saying, okay, you know, it's not fair to deny these benefits if the state recognizes the marriage. Now, what about the couple, the poor couple that happens to live in a state that doesn't recognize yeah. same-sex marriage and then they don't get these federal benefits? How long is it going to be before the court is pressed to go ahead and grant the benefits across yeah. the board, even to those in the state's that uh, don't want to recognize same-sex marriage. And I think Scalia, you know, suggested it as as much. So that's that's one ruling. And then the other ruling was this Proposition 8 ruling. And so 
some people took the Supreme Court's ruling in the Prop 8 case as them saying, we strike down Prop 8 and say that it's all wrong. What they did instead is they allowed to stand a district court ruling that struck down Prop 8 as unconstitutional. So as I understand it, and I don't follow the ins and outs of this particular, I mean, it's just so convoluted. People spending their time, spending a lot of time trying to ensure that two gay people cannot be married Right. And and I mean, you think about this. One of the you know things in this article here is the the reaction, right? That uh, the the people who are anti gay marriage are going to continue and fight on a state by state level. Do they think to... they're going to be forced to marry someone of the same sex? I mean, is it is this what it is? Is this the problem? Cause I... You think about it though, the passion, the anger, uh, to think it affects their lives somehow personally. I, I, that I just, a gay I just couple will destroy them somehow, or destroy marriage—the the very idea of marriage. I, I just, I just don't get it. I mean, I, I, I can't understand getting so. I can't either. And, so worked up against. And then at you know, all. and they're honestly, you know, Bill Ryan, I don't like him. But when, when, when he said it's true, he goes, "There is no compelling argument on the other side. There's a far more compelling argument on the on the side of gays yes. in, the, in this issue." Oh yeah. And he said, "I just don't see the compelling argument." And then when well, he asked someone, they didn't actually make it too well. So well, you know. well, here's the thing. I mean, as far and and let, let's go ahead and, and get into that since you kind of brought it up. Um, on the side of banning gay marriage, as far as I can tell, is largely religious arguments yeah. or arguments based on tradition, right. the idea of what people traditionally think about marriage. Right. But if you think about, first of all, you have to answer the question for yourself. Do you think that gay relationships are moral right. relationships? Right. When, I, I, when I, do. Down, yes. I do. But when you get to, to the bottom line, these people will never answer that yeah because they well, won't be asked that well there's that do you think that gay relationships are, are more are, are they legitimate are they are they true yeah. relationships yeah yeah and then second if they are moral relationships what do you think should be the role of government with respect to that now first of all the one thing i would say is i i'm surprised that there's over a thousand laws right. talking wow. about benefits for spouses and stuff right. and one thing that I will disagree with as an effect of this, even though I am in favor of, of gay marriage, I think that gay relationships are perfectly moral, and I'll talk about why in a second. But one thing that this ruling might do, and probably does based on all those thousand some odd laws, is that it's going to force people who are personally against gay marriage to subsidize spouses' benefits when they would choose in well, a free market yeah, otherwise that, to not do that. So, but that's because of this total mixed economy, disgusting context that we're in right now. Government should not be this involved in, in marriage, certainly at all. Um, and, and I think a government should never force anybody, any employer, any individual to grant benefits to homosexuals that they wouldn't otherwise grant. So that's, that's you know, the proviso. But... You know, let's let's look at the merits here. So homosexuality, what is it? Let's put aside any religious doctrine. Right. Okay. I haven't done a pile of research on this, but based on everything that I have heard, my belief is you got a couple options. It's either something that you inherit, it's in your genetic code somehow, or there are very early right. decisions or developmental things that are 
happening. Which you hear about from homosexuals. They they say that. Yeah. So by the time a person is of age aware of and uh, aware of their sexuality, I don't think this is something that you're going to cure, that you're going to take out of, you know, there's there's all those stupid programs, right, that say, oh, well, we're going to... we're Pray gonna, the gay away. We're, yeah, know. pray. We're going to cure this. <laughs> and I, I always think, you know, some of the re- most religious people, uh, Ted, Ted what's yeah, his name, uh, from Colorado Springs. I mean, oh, he was really so against it and behind, behind the scenes exactly. actually engaging in exactly. homosexuality. I mean, it's just, it, it's just silly. Why deny... The, the reality of, of what But then also the government granting, you know, okay, now it's like the government is on high. Okay, now you can have the right, you know, as if they should have that power anyway. You know, no, as yeah, if yeah. they should. Right, right. But so let's, let's go to the, the next step about the, the relationship, right? So as far as we know, it is just, um, you know, completely from an early stage in life set. I don't think hmm. you're going to cure it by years of psychotherapy. This is... This this is who the person is. Um, It it could be something that you know there were early choices made or not. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm no expert. Either way, I don't care. It's a fact of reality, and a lot of people don't like that fact for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Like they rail against this fact. Yeah. So what what are you going to do with somebody who's you know, sexual attraction is for someone of the same sex. Are you going to say, don't enjoy, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't, I don't like don't, that. Yeah, don't, so? en- don't enjoy a, a monogamous sexual relationship and have yeah, a. Yeah, but the, the Bible says, you know. Well, and they're right. But I'm saying if you look at reality, they've got no answer at no, all. No, they don't. And, 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 and so what you want is you want these people to have fulfilling long-term monogamous sexual relationships, just like anybody else. We're talking about adults. We're not talking about kids, yep. right? So I I think it's completely moral. You you want somebody to have a romantic relationship as part of a fulfilling life. That's and yeah. that's what that's what I want for homosexuals, heterosexuals, whatever. So whatever you know, if if you think that homosexuality is abnormal in some way, and you say okay, well because of reproduction, whatever, that doesn't matter because when you look at the individual person, yeah. there first of all, it, if it's an abnormality, it's a it's a very prevalent abnormality, if it is. Um, it's something that I think as part of any species, I mean, in a way, it's almost not abnormal because it's like a side effect of a human species that you're going to have some individuals that are homosexual in nature. Right. And apparently there's some of other animal species too. So, I mean, this, this is about as scientific as I want to get with it. So for my point, it's irrevocable. The person doesn't have a choice about right. it by the time... He comes of age and realizes what his preferences are. I want that person to have a fulfilling life, which includes a romantic relationship, a long-term monogamous relationship. And they should have the freedom. It's really an issue of freedom. This is America. This is America. And uh, Michael J. Hurd, uh, Dr. Hurd, wrote this, this great little piece about it, and he was very happy about it. But he said, also, can we get some more? Freedoms now. I want the freedom to keep my money. I want the freedom to. You know what I mean, it was good with a whole list, a whole litany. But uh, this is this is America. Uh, this is what where we ought to be, uh, despite what most people think. Right. You know, it just it doesn't matter really. I mean, this is not their lives. They shouldn't have the. They, look, they can rail against it all they want, but they shouldn't be able to have any power over it. Yeah. Now, Rob in the chat room says, "Whose rights does gay marriage violate?" 
Uh, now, Rob, again, I don't think gay marriage per se violates anybody's rights. I think he's being sarcastic. I think he's well, being, yeah. no, 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 no. He, he's saying he doesn't believe that anybody does. Nobody no, doesn't. Well, and, and so what I'm saying is that in today's legal system, once you declare gay marriage to be marriage, all these thousands of federally mandated benefits mm-hmm. go along with that. And so then there are a lot of people, you know, like I think Obama made some flippant comment about we're not going to force a church to conduct a gay marriage. OK, that is just one small, right. tiny tip of an iceberg right. of things that are mandated because of this ruling that some people would have a legitimate right. concern about. Right. If because, again, again, I'm I'm in favor of, right. of gay marriage. If I if I had employees, right. sorry, sorry, Rob, Rob, it wasn't sarcastic. It was it was rhetorical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. No, sorry. Of course, That's, of course. I used um, the wrong term. Um, if uh, if I was I'm an employer and I had right. employees who were gay, I would treat them the same as anybody else. But but, the, but I want that to be my choice. Right. I, I think in a free market, that's going to be every employer's choice. And but that's after the fact of of allowing this to happen to, to to have the freedom to do this. I mean, that's no doubt it should be taken care of. And they should look if they want to reject it, they should be able to. But there will be churches who will accept it, yeah. and they have to go to those. I mean, and, and it, you can't make every church. Accept it and do it. I mean, you know, you just can't. Right, do right, it. right. But the but but you get you grant the yeah. point, right? The yeah. point is, is that there are some companies that are going to be forced to spend money right. on the same sex spouses of employees that would have preferred otherwise to not do that. Right. And I think it's wrong to force them Absolutely. to do it. I think it's no right. It. I think it's right for them to spend the money. I think it's wrong for them to be forced to right. spend the money. So so that that's an issue there. Um, uh, Sorry, uh, Thomas. Will there be mosques that will do it? <laughs> exactly right. I mean, um, that's just also a you know. I mean, thing. this this just shows. This it, just shows. Obama went to, to Africa actually. Must pre, um, I, I guess talking up uh, what, gay marriage something, gay rights in Africa, where there are a ton of Muslims who kill homosexuals. But anyway, no, no, and it, it just shows how far we are removed. Yeah. You know, uh, gays are so you know uh, treated badly here, but really it's just about can they have marriage? Whereas in these other countries, they're being hung, but. The point is, I think they should be treated exactly the the same. I think in a free market, it would all work itself out. Right now, we do not have a free market, and therefore, I think this issue is just like so many other issues, like prayer in schools or all sorts of other things that go on in, in government schools. It's the government school system that screws it up. Here, I think it's the fact that government has so much to do with marriage right now that so many benefits and regulations, mandates, are hinged upon marriage. I think that's the the hugest problem for some people. Although then there are others who are just the haters, and they really just are. I don't know what are they are they disgusted by gays? So they have this emotion of disgust, and they're using their they religion try to, to rationalize justify it. Though, it. in a lot of ways, if you notice, they never come out right and say it. But you can tell, in, in at least some of them, there's a rage there. And they try to rationalize that, that I just, rage. I just want to tell these people, get a life, get a life, get, get a, a life. Get a goddamn life. And, and, and let's, be, let's be principled about it and say, okay, I don't have a problem with gay marriage per se. Now, you know, principled. People say, well, I am principled. It's because these are my religious beliefs. But if we're going to deal with each other in a free society, we cannot base our arguments for and against 
certain pieces of legislation only on Scripture, mm. and actually even on Scripture, not on Scripture. Yes. Because what do you do? You say, well, I believe this, and then I say, well, I don't believe that. So you're allowing others to not be able to do what they want to do because what? Based, based, uh, on, based on faith. And, and, just, and faith is again, not... Again, it's a faith, simple matter of freedom. Right, and, and fa- faith is not a justification for the use of government force on somebody else. So I, I, I just don't... What we need to do is we need to remove government force from any decisions around this issue. Yeah, like, and, like a government telling the church, oh, you have to, you know, you have to have gay marriage there, and you have to, that's that's impossible. I mean, it shouldn't happen. Right. So I, I what I what I feel like now is I feel like, um, do you remember when we discussed on the Tammy Bruce show when I was uh, guest hosting, and I was talking about immigration with Yaron Brook, mm-hmm. and he was saying that regardless of how bad the particular immigration bill right, is, right, 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 if the immigration bill freeze employers to hire whomever they want, that that's really the important thing here. So if you say, okay, there's a whole bunch of yucky stuff that comes around this because the federal government will be forcing some people to grant benefits to same-sex couples when they wouldn't want to otherwise. Yeah, you say, yeah, that's bad. But what comes here is the freedom of a whole group of people to live a happy life yeah. and not be treated get out, of, out of the way not be treated like other people now we we need to fix the rest of it that's for sure so let's go back to the the prop 8 thing okay so as far as i understand it what happened is um we have prop 8 which declared you know marriages between a man and woman uh the california supreme court found it as constitutional then there was an appeal to the district court, the federal district court. District court said, no, this is unconstitutional. Get it out of here. And the Supreme Court now, the federal Supreme Court, has said that that district court ruling should be the only one, that that one stands. So the district court, the federal district court, saying that Prop 8 is unconstitutional, that one should stand. And why is that? It should stand because anything that happened after that the appeal to the Ninth Circuit, the appeal to the Supreme Court, no more jurisdiction, no more jurisdiction to hear those cases. Why? Because the state did not choose to participate in the appeals. Hmm. And so, therefore, there was no case or controversy, blah, blah, blah. So it's it's only a jurisdictional ruling. The Supreme Court did not rule about the merits of gay marriage, whether there is a federally protected right to gay, gay marriage one way or the other. All it said is that we're going to leave it to the states, and insofar as the states have decided that the marriage is okay, federal law will now be followed accordingly. And that's that's all they said. So it will, in California, practically speaking, open up the ability to have your gay marriage recognized or now to get married right. if you haven't yet been able to get married. And so a lot of people in California, of course, are very happy about that. We do have a call. I want to go ahead and take it. Let me see here. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Debbie. Yay, hey, Debbie. Debbie. So this is, this is great because coming to this time slot allows you to sometimes call in the show, which awesome. I, I'm really happy about. Yeah, me too. So do you, do you know our three topics that we've done so far? We've done Obama and Snowden, we've done gay marriage, and we have done the woman who's the head of the IMF who doesn't know what in the world she's talking about. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with those. 
Which, which so, about which one? About which one are you the most passionate? Well, you know, I'm a little. I'm interested to hear about this gay marriage issue because um, I had not heard that it was just a, a jurisdictional ruling, like you mentioned. Um, what I heard was conservatives kind of screaming bloody murder. And uh, for instance, I heard Michelle Bachman assert that uh, people have now been denied equal protection under the law because of this ruling. Don't ask me how that is supposed to be. Well, okay, so 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 really, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use what Greg Gutfeld says is a banned word right now. Uh, you're you're conflating the two rulings. In, in your understanding, because there's two different rulings. So the one of them, the one struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, and that must be the one that Michelle Bachman is upset about. And I would say the reason that Michelle Bachman is upset about the striking down of the Defense of Marriage Act is because there are going to be employers and others who are going to have to grant benefits to same-sex couples that they wouldn't have done otherwise. Because there are, there's over a thousand federal laws that have to do something with marriage, that tell people to do something because a couple is married. And I think that that's what she's upset about. Okay, I see. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I still don't quite follow how that denies someone equal protection under the law, but but uh, I think I, I see what you mean by that, though. Yeah, I mean, they're basically saying that their particular beliefs are not being respected in terms of them wanting to grant or not grant benefits. I mean, that's that's what I would assume. Um, oh, okay. I, if, so, it's, so it's like uh, it's like the um, the birth control issue, the same type of thing. Well, yeah, the birth control issue is another disgusting story. You know, this is just Obamacare being shoved down our throats. Uh, you can't. In, in California, certain companies are going to go out of business now, but, you know, you'll be able to get birth control under the Obamacare exchange policy. So what do you care if, if Aetna goes out of business, right? Right. Yeah, and then, and then the, also the issue that employers are forced to uh, to cover birth control even if it's against their religious beliefs to pay for it. Right, exactly. And no, nobody should be forced to do that at all. So um, so the other ruling that is just the jurisdictional ruling is the ruling with respect to Prop 8. So, um, the, yeah, the, the, uh, the Prop 8 ruling is just jurisdictional. It's because there was no standing after the district court holding. And the district court holding just said Prop 8 is unconstitutional. So that, that's it. District court's ruling stands. Now, they may go ahead and they're going to try to bring a, a live case in controversy, but I think so long as the state doesn't participate, then I think they're going to be able to leave it. As far as I know, California is preparing to recognize same-sex marriage, and they don't believe that there's anything standing in their way of doing that. Yeah, I think that's actually good news. Cool. So in, in general, though, um, I clicked on you and I made you talk, and you didn't have a little question mark icon, and I, and I jumped the gun. Is that right? Do, are you wanting to talk more about the uh, Man of Steel stuff in the second hour? Oh, well, I haven't seen Man of Steel yet, so I definitely don't want to talk about that. Oh. I don't think spoilers. You know, it, I, I wanted to talk about Man of Steel. I mean, actually, I really didn't want to, but I had tentatively planned to talk about the Man of Steel on the Friday that it was released, and that would have been really dumb. But now we've given people a few weeks to see it, and you haven't seen it. Yeah, I know. I'm always really slow about that sort of thing. 
Okay. Well, in a, in a nutshell, I recommend it, and I do think that it helps to promote the American sense of life. And we are going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about that in a spoiler-filled discussion in just a very few minutes, Deb. I'm sorry. Oh, that's quite all right. Okay. Um, but uh, in terms of in terms of the gay marriage issue, you personally in favor of gay marriage? Yeah, I just I don't see why it should be uh, you know prevented. So I I think it's good. Yeah, yeah, and I'm 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 exactly with you. So I'm going to go ahead and and uh, and stick you on hold, Deb. You're free to listen as long as you can handle. I'm going to in a minute play a little bit of Hans Zimmer for our one hour break. You know, the the kind of shift over to the top of the second hour so that you can enjoy that. You're going to enjoy that. Um, Robert in the chat room says he's going to call in about Man of Steel. I think a lot of people do want to do that discussion. I remember that uh, at the beginning of the hour, Ed was already making Man of Steel references when I was talking about the IMF story. So I think people are eager to get to that. Uh, one other story before we go into the next. I just I just wanted to point out, uh, I was already mentioning it, that in California, there are insurance companies who are sending letters to their subscribers saying that they will no longer be insuring individuals in California after the end of this year. It is already happening. The effect of Obamacare to push private insurance companies out of business is already happening. Let me play you a little clip of Obama speaking to the American Medical Association in 2009 saying, oh, everything's going to be wonderful and peachy keen. Here it goes. And that means that no matter how we reform health care, we will keep this promise to the American people. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor, period. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan, period. No one will take it away, no matter what. My view is that health care reform should be guided by a simple principle. Fix what's broken and build on what works. And that's what we intend to do. If we do that, we can build a health care system that allows you to be physicians instead of administrators and accountants, a system that gives Americans a system that gives Americans the best care at the lowest cost, a system that eases up the pressure on businesses and unleashes the promise of our economy, creating hundreds of thousands of jobs, making take-home wages thousands of dollars higher, and growing our economy by tens of billions of dollars more every year. That's how we'll stop spending tax dollars to prop up an unsustainable system and start investing those dollars in innovations and advances that will make our health care system blah, and our economy strong. That's what we can do with this opportunity. Blah. Yeah. Disgusting. Lying rat. Lying rat from hell. Um, yeah, I was talking about the president that way. I am amazed at how disrespectfully I speak about the president. Well, he makes it very easy. I don't know. I mean, how many, how many, how many lies, how many lies were told? When doesn't he lie? Is the question. I mean, there are a bunch of companies saying that they're going to have to go out of business because of 
this. There are a bunch of companies that are saying that they aren't, they won't hire as many people. They'll stay in business. They won't hire as many people. They'll hire them only part-time so they don't have to give them health benefits. Lie after lie right. after lie in yep. that clip. And in particular, he said, and you heard him, and there's a bunch of clips out there. There was Actually, if you go to YouTube, one of the top things if you search for this is uh, I think Glenn Beck put together a little montage of Obama time and again saying, you can keep your plan, you can keep right. your plan, you can keep your plan, you'll be able to keep your plan. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan, you yep. can keep your, keep your doctor. Um, all lies, because if you are in California and you are an Aetna subscriber and you like your plan, no, you cannot keep your plan. Because they could never have passed it with, with him being honest about it. Yeah. Never. Now, of course, they want to say, well, these evil insurance people, they just want to earn a profit, mm. blah, 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 blah. Anyway, we are at the end of the first hour. And, yeah, we've talked about the IMF. We've talked about Mr. Obama and Mr. Snowden and gay marriage as well. In the next hour, we will talk about Man of Steel. And I think that's probably going to take up the whole hour, given that people have phone calls that they want to make and stuff. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead for the bottom of the hour and start playing Hans Zimmer. What are you going to do when you're not saving the world? Here we go.
Okay, I think it's fading out from here. You have been listening to Hans Zimmer. And it's, yeah, it's from the Man of Steel soundtrack. What are you going to do when you're not saving the world? And uh, I really enjoyed this music. Ed in the chat room here says that he likes Zimmer's music, but he says it does not seem to him like a Superman movie without John Williams' iconic theme. This is Amy Peikoff. We are in the second hour of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And we have devoted this hour, if yeah. we can use the time, which I think we're going to be able to because we're going to, I think, have some calls on this topic. Man of Steel. We're going to discuss Man of Steel. And in particular, I want to relate it to the theme of my show, right? Because my show, again, is about reviving, preserving promoting. the American sense of life. They're promoting the uniquely American sense of life. And what does that mean? That means promoting the idea that Americans are self-confident, independent. They believe in the propriety, the morality of succeeding, the possibility of succeeding. They are not subservient to their government. By nature. By nature. And I think that that was exemplified well in Man of Steel. And what I do think we should do, Bosch, in the beginning here, because we do, we have Deb and we have some other people who have said, uh, conservative Sue in the chat room and others who have said that they haven't yet seen the movie. Okay, well... So what we what we should do? Well, we, well, later we will have a spoiler okay, filled discussion. Okay. But what I want to do, at least for a few minutes, okay. is talk without giving spoilers about why they should go see this movie right away and stop listening to us. <laughs> because it's uh... now, Bosch. Full disclosure, Bosch. How many times did you see this movie? Four times. Four times. But I sold out. I only saw it IMAX once, so yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to watch it IMAX all the time. I just saw it once in IMAX, but whatever. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was very, very strong. And um, at one point in the movie, I I angrily applauded at something. Okay. Very passionately. I won't say what now. but. And I laughed out loud at one thing in it, and I thought it was very worthy of the laughing out loud, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Ed in the chat room says Bosch is a little crazy to see it four times. One thing you have to understand, Bosch, this, this, yeah, Bosch is a comic book artist, so and writer, cartoonist. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a cartoonist. I love superheroes. I love comic books, and I love super movies, especially when they're done well. Especially when they're done well, and this is this was done well. Yes, definitely, definitely. Despite what Rotten Tomato says, even though an editor of Rotten Tomato says she was shocked. At uh, relatively bad, you know, reviews because she said it's it's a good movie. Right, right. So let's let's first, without giving away any spoilers, let's talk about in general what did you think of, for instance, the the plot and the way that the movie was was uh, you know kind of laid out. Thought, the, the the idea of going not yeah chronologically, linear, exactly. not linear. I thought that but, was good because I mean. In a way, I think super movies, they spend the first hour setting it up, and people are sitting there and probably say, well, okay, well, I have to wait this hour to, for the setup, and they probably get a little maybe bored because they're anticipating something. I need something now. This one jumps into the fray, you know, and it's an exciting Krypton. It's not a cold Krypton like in the old one, 1978, which it's all it's literally made of ice, and this was exciting from the outset. And then instead of, you know, seeing Jonathan and Martha Kent uh, with the baby Kal-El, you jump to Kal-El as an as an adult, right? You know, doing what he does, right? I don't know. Maybe I can't. Yeah, no, you know. we don't. We don't want to say too much about it. But and then they go it, back and forth. Yeah. So he starts those, getting memories about 
and it's at particular points where he starts thinking about it, then it goes back into a flashback. You know, which is an interesting way, I think, it, was, it kept you on your toes, kept you interested. And it, it makes it essentialized. Yeah. The, the one thing that I would say in terms of the use of time is, just for my taste, I thought some of the fight scenes were a bit too long. What would you say about that, Bosch? Maybe. Um, but, you know, I can't get enough of sometimes uh, watching these superhero super battles come to life. I, I don't think there's ever been a superhero super battle like this. I don't think so. I mean, in that in that battle with well, again, I won't hold back from saying anything particular, but they went all out. They showed Superman's power like it ne- like it's never been shown before ever. Even when he flies, it's a powerful act. I mean, he just you know explodes off the ground to to the sky. It's 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 pretty incredible. And people can see that in the trailer, yeah. so that's not a spoiler. No. What what about the casting? Some people have said that Cavill is just too good looking. Literally, one guy said impossibly good looking as a crit- as a as a critique, and also one guy, two guys said he's too smoldering, and that was also a critique. I mean, the guy is super handsome, no doubt about it. He looks like Superman from the from the comic book pages. He does literally, and I'm glad he looks the way he looks. I'm, I'm glad that he actually exemplifies because believe it or not, Nicolas Cage was signed up to play Superman in the 1990s with a Tim Burton-filmed <laughs> movie. Think about that. And they said that they were going to uh, uh, focus on the alien aspect. Of course, look at you know, Nicolas Cage, but Nicolas Cage is not Superman. Henry Cavill looks like Superman. I mean, literally, you know, when he's not playing the part, he looks like him. I mean, and that's you, what you need. When you see those pictures of Nicolas Cage wearing <sighs> the Superman costume, I mean, all you can do is laugh. I mean, it is All sick. you can do is laugh. It's, I mean, it's just, it's truly, it's truly. It's Tim Burton Superman. Yeah. Uh, now, Ed in the chat room says that Cavill was perfect, but he's not an American. And that's true. He's not an American, but he seems to have exactly the right yeah. spirit and respect for the role. Absolutely. And, and also, outside of the film, he loves money. You know, he said, "I of course, I do it for money, ultimately, and I, I want to make a lot of money. He goes, anyone who, who, who tells you different is, is lying. You know, he loves making the money. He loves working hard. But, you know, it's uh, his his cast member said... Uh, uh, Michael Shannon, the guy who played Zod, said he's the hardest working actor he's ever seen ever. His his work ethic, his work ethic is is incredible. So he has, you know, he basically he's very very American in that in that sense. And uh, I thought the casting was I thought the casting was great. And I'm not a fan of uh, Kevin Costner. I think he's been weak in roles. He was great in here. I mean, I I didn't see any weakness in here. I didn't say oh that that was a little weak. No, I think he did a great job. And uh, if we want to get into particulars, certain thing or no? Well, we, the moment I, I think, okay, the, now, now here's yeah. the thing. We're going we're gonna to start getting into spoilers. Um, I want, Bosch, just any last comments that you can tell people who haven't seen the movie yet, why they should go, and then we're going to get into our spoilers. Well, just one, one thing. Uh, Superman does something in this movie that he is, quote, unquote, not supposed to do. Superman does not blank, and you'll see what, what, what it is. And that's why... To me, it was an incredible moment. Um, very surprised. I did not expect. I'm it. I'm hoping that you didn't give anything away by doing that. Now, for me, for me, you wouldn't have given anything away. Yes, so, and and for other people who maybe don't know the character too much or don't haven't followed the uh, story too much, um, it's incredible. Uh, for me, that was like the big, big one, the big moment, and everything else was, I mean, really well done. Cavill was, was I mean, he was excellent as Superman. Excellent. I mean, he he looked the part. He acted the part. He, 
his accent, I mean, he, 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 he had a perfect American accent also. You know, you knew. He, I mean, if you didn't know better, you think he's American. That's it. No, he did He did great. And what about Costner? Robin's chat excellent. room says Costner he was, was amazing. And uh, I, I Diane agree. Lane was excellent. Yeah. Uh, the the mom uh, in the on the Krypton, she was great. Russell Crowe was great. Michael Shannon was excellent. The German actress who played uh, Feora, the uh, the evil uh, uh, Kryptonian, she was excellent. And Amy Adams, right? And even uh, what's the name? Uh, Lawrence Fishburne. You know, he brought that he brought that weight to the role. I mean, yeah. I thought you, you believe him as as being a you know a Clark Kent's boss as Amy as Lois Lois Lane's boss. You believe he has the the uh, gravity for that. So. Are, are we saying the non-spoiler part is done? Yeah. We want to get into the spoiler I mean, part. I, yeah. Up to you. We can still work around it. No, I, I, I think I think we want to go ahead and allow for spoilers. So everyone, if you have not seen the movie, I do highly recommend that you just hang up on us. I'm sorry, and then listen to this in the uh, podcast form later. And definitely go go see definitely this. Definitely go. Movie. It is well, absolutely. It is a spectacle. And, and tell and tell me if you think I'm wrong because I do think that this movie is. Supportive of evidence of an American sense of yes. life, yes. Even though a British guy plays. Can Superman. I say something specific about that? Which is not really giving anything away. I don't. I don't think. Mm, maybe. Basically, he, okay. you know, in Superman Returns, two thousand six, right? You have uh, Perry White saying uh, truth, justice, all that stuff in relation to Superman. That was pathetic. And anyone who sat in that movie, I don't care where you're coming from. If you're American, you were funny. Like they're leaving out the American way, right? Deliberately. And then you find out the the writer said, "Well, he's a global character. Man of Steel puts him as an American. He's a, clearly an American, explicitly so, which is great to see. He doesn't have to, you know, fly with the American flag." I had a run-in with uh, De- Debbie Schlossel, who's a movie reviewer slash critic of Islam, and. She said it is un-American, anti-American. That's an absolute lie. That's BS. And then she she accused me of being a Muslim. You know. But anyway, that's that's the <laughs> that point. really helps. Okay, okay. So we now from here on we can have spoilers if we want. Let's see here what we've got in terms of comments in the chat room. Yes, Ed says don't forget Amy Adams and, and oh, yeah, we she was great. we do not. She was she was excellent. She was excellent. Um, yeah, no acting weakness according to Robert Fishburn. Got <laughs> fat. I guess. I guess okay. he did, yeah. I don't know. Even though in uh, I think uh, oh, the Matrix, she was she, right. was she was pretty heavy. She was, she was not lift. He was not a superhero. You know? So, what would you name as the theme of this, if you could? It's um, I don't know. I mean, if you if you if you add up the message of everything, I'm I'm wondering. I'm I'm thinking this might be Robert, but I'm not sure. No, that's that that's a good question. I I have not thought about it. Hi, who's this? <clears throat> Hi, Amy. It's Robert. It hey, is Robert. Robert. See, I, I'm thinking Robert yes, is going to save you. Robert, Robert, Robert's going to save you right now because Robert is going to have <laughs> – I'm still into the movie. I mean, I, I'm probably going to watch it again. So. He, he's he's, he's going to have some idea of the, the, the forest, which right. is the, the theme. Yeah. What, would you, what would you need for I, the theme? Well, I would say it's actually free will because he's given the choice. He's given the choice of two different worlds, two worlds that he lives in. And he makes a choice of the of the one that he loves more. And to me, that is the that's the, that's right. Um, you know, it's it's said explicitly. It's acted out. And I'm you know not giving away too many details, but uh, but I think that's to me that's that's what it is. It's it's uh, he's been on Earth. And he's seen the value of human life there. He's taken part in it. 
right. then he's seen the destruction of Krypton and how they, quote, evolved past uh, morality. Uh, and he's chosen, you know, the morality of life. So to me, right. that's the that, that's the essential of, of what it is. Okay, so it wouldn't necessarily be free will in the abstract. It would be free will as applied to certain types of questions. And then do you put it, like Super Chap here in the chat room says it would be individual versus the state. By, by the way, hello, Super Chap, because I think you're a new cool. listener, so welcome, welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on a different level, volition versus Plato's Republic, so that would be free will right. in terms of making political choices so this this is good i mean i i think i would put it at a little bit more concrete level too because what's coming to my mind and i saw it only one time and i didn't even see it in imax but there were there were certain lines in the movie that really resonated with me so there's the one in the trailer when russell crowe is talking about you know what if somebody actually aspires to be something better and things right. like that now it was mm-hmm. interesting because when when i when i heard that line in the trailer I thought it was about, you know, Superman having powers and right. this and that. But really, the whole reason that they are sending Kal-El to Earth is because they are, you know, he was even born, like Kal-El was born in defiance right. of the moral code that had developed on Krypton, which is that, you know, everybody is never, you know, there's never supposed to be any chance in giving birth to a human being. They were all genetically engineered in order to do a particular Science function. And so they, their mm-hmm. whole lives, you know, they, they were dictated. Like, if, if you read uh, Ayn Rand's novel at Anthem... It had Anthem. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it was completely the Anthem-type society that had developed there on uh, Krypton. Yeah. And so when Crow is talking in that trailer, the little monologue in the trailer, he's not talking about, you know... I mean, he, he sort of is, I guess. I mean, you, you can use that particular... Uh, you know, uh, monologue as emblematic of Superman trying to make his way within the society on Earth. But it was concrete. But at the time that he was saying it, he was talking about defying the way that society is on Krypton. So it's like dual battles of of the individual not accepting the place that society wants to give him, in effect. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean... Carrie Wright's angel. that, that it, I mean, that has to do with free will, but it's it's free will with respect to a certain type of choice. So I guess I would just wanted to be a little bit more concrete in talking about what the theme might uh, be. That's a great question. I, I literally have not thought about distilling it down to one, you know, idea. Yeah. But uh, that's yeah, that, that sounds about right. But I, I think we can and, still work. <clears throat> I think we can still work it. Also, I would say I'm, I'm sorry, to interrupt. Uh, I would say huh. character is a, is a main you know is a main strength because he, we see him developing his character as he's developing his powers. Right. His moral um, character. They're both right. they're both simultaneous and he knows what he what he's capable of. We see we see him struggling and then succeeding. And then there's an element of pride as well in there that he's you know, he's proud. He wants to do good for for both of his fathers. I thought right. the the thing that I that I really loved about it was both fathers offered uh different values to him that shaped you know that that kind of shaped his character and uh i didn't i, I didn't really like uh, the way kevin costner the way he died you know there, there right. was a little bit of a little bit of altruism in there but um but it did leave an impact on him and uh i i just thought he wanted to do good he wanted he saw clearly right you know there's good and evil 
and he was always on the side of good, regardless. You know, from from the very get go, from when they did did the whole history of him, they called him a do-gooder. You know, he was the guy that everyone who they interviewed, who Amy Adams interviewed, you know, yeah. he just did all these incredible things. And, and it wasn't altruism. You know, that was the thing. There was right. there was no, aside from Kevin Costner's death, you didn't get a whiff of altruism, you know, for the whole two, two hours, two and a half hours, you know. And, and But there was force on the other side. You know, there was a lot of force right. on now, the other side. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me just stop you for a second because there's some people who listen to the show here that aren't necessarily familiar with some of the terminology um at mm-hmm. least not in the way not in the way that you're using it now. So, let's talk about this issue of pride, right? That you thought thought that pride was definitely illustrated there. Ed in the chat room had suggested as a theme here and I'm just I'm just going to actually um mute you for a second here because I hear some noise in the background. And I'm going to come right back to you, uh Robert. So, uh Ed in the chat room is saying the theme could be using one's talents to become a better person. And there is definitely uh, mm-hmm. an element of showing that where he is out there discovering who he was sent there to be, deciding who he wants to be, and then using his talents to become better and better. And, of mm-hmm. course, his father tells him that he can only become stronger and stronger by pressing his limits, which right. he's always doing. Which his other father tells him to hold back, hold back, hold back. And he says, basically, push your limits. You know, it's interesting well, uh, I think he was saying hold yeah, back now, it's not time, I'm, hold back no now, it's not time, it. right? But it's just, it's just that idea itself also. Right, I mean, it's pretty right. interesting. So, there, so there's that uh, element. And, and in Rand's morality, which we like to apply and talk about on this show a lot, pride, pride for Rand is not just the idea of being proud, patting yourself on the back. Pride for Rand is moral ambitiousness, right. which would mean constantly improving yourself making yourself even more worthy of the productive uh the fruits right. of your productive labor. So um so th- this idea of pride is definitely evident in there. I don't know if I would put it as the theme as much as a person um carving out his independent life um both at vis-a-vis the two societies that he's given a choice of, right? He chooses to be within the society of Earth, and he very dramatically chooses that. But also, within the society on Earth, he's telling them, look, I'm doing it my own way. So the other thing that Robert said that I wanted to explain a little more was the issue of altruism. In conventional morality, what is moral is to be altruistic, which is to put others above yourself. And we really do not see Superman here putting others above himself, although I would say there's one place where you could argue he's taking that risk, which is when he first initially gives himself up to Zod. Now, maybe he thinks that he's strong enough and that whatever they would do to him, he could get through it. But he's, he's definitely taking more risk than you might but the risk would be that they would destroy the earth so he's like he's He's going with the the ability that he possibly might come out of this whereas earth has no no chance in hell right right so he can fight them um, no, I, I really like that the right. element to it. And also he was having that little discussion with the priest there where basically he talked right. to himself. He didn't really right. get bounced the advice off. from the priest, but he no. just bounced it off. Uh, but he says, yeah, if there's a, a chance, then I have to take right. that. So he did. But um, later, I love one of the lines that I really love is, I want to help. Right. I want right. to help, but it has to be on my terms. Excellent. That is not what an altruist no, says. No, it, it is explicit. And, and, and it is excellent. It, it, 
clearly differentiates altruism, this idea of others being put above yourself you know, in morality, versus benevolence. A lot of people think that altruism is about benevolence, about just being helpful to people, being nice to people. Superman is helpful and nice to people. Right. He's very, very helpful to people. He saves their lives. But if he says, look, I'm, I've got to do it on my terms, he's saying I'm an individual person. Right. And you also see in the movie that he makes choices. He chooses to take time out of his huge long fight with Zod to help Lois. Yep. But he doesn't help every single person who's in danger at every step along the and way. That's which one is, of the critiques. Yeah, that's does. one of the critiques. And you know what yeah. you know what they're saying really? He didn't save everyone. Therefore he didn't save anyone. And it's just pathetic. You cannot if you are in the fight of your life, a death match, you're not gonna say, Okay, hold on Zod, can you hold on a second? Save some people come back. No. You and if you end him, if you defeat him, then you save billions. Right, right. Now, conservative Sue in the chat room uh, cites the line, you can be anyone you want yeah. as as evidence of the theme. And then Carrie uh, in the chat room says that much of the dialogue, especially the Jorel quote, was an explicit rejection of collectivism. Yeah. And I loved it. Yes. Yeah, it was. Th this idea that the society comes above you. I mean, that's one form of, you know, the altruist kind of collectivist doctrine that says that society is above you. Who are you? to try to decide what you want to do with yeah. your life, what your role in life is. Little things also, like like Wayne, Wayne tells the general, um, you're afraid of me because you, uh, you can't control me. And you can't, and you, and you never will. That doesn't mean, you know, I'm your enemy. Uh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. It's explicit. You know, and he also is saying, look, I will. I have the power to help. I want to and all that. But again... You know, I think he says at one point, you you take care of uh, Washington, you know, more or less. He's like, you deal with that, and don't worry. I mean, tell them, tell them whatever you have. Yeah, to, tell them whatever you have yeah. to, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super chat brings up the one line. It was great. It was a great line and greatly delivered. Also, it was pretty intense because this man is not our enemy, and uh, Superman, you know, acknowledges it. I always like the idea, and it's true. The name Superman. He didn't come. I am Superman. You know, he didn't do that. You know what I mean? And if you think about the name, that's not something a guy like that would necessarily call himself because he has too healthy an ego. He's not going to go, I am Superman because I need to be called Superman. It's a name that I, I think uh, Lois gives to him behind, behind the scenes because at, at one point someone says, uh, um, a General, uh, uh, the Colonel and is bringing Superman with him. He goes, Superman? He goes, that, that's what they're calling him. You know, you know, the alien, that's what they're calling him. <laughs> right, right. That's hilarious. Oh, no, it is. It's, it, it's very well thought out. It, it definitely is. Let, let's go back to Robert here because he made a – Robert is being multi-talented here. He he posted a comment here in the chat room. The, the line where he said that I want to help but I'm going to have to do it in my own way, and I can't remember if that was an exact quote because, again, I saw, it, I saw it only one time. Uh, but, Ro but Robert, you were drawing a parallel with an Ayn Rand hero, Howard Rourke, who said that he wanted to do his work on his terms. So you saw that as, as well, this idea of independence. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, I was, I was going to ask you, um, did you laugh out loud at any point in the movie, Robert? Yes, I did. Uh, but oddly enough, I, can, I, uh, I did a few times, but... I can't remember. I can't remember what they were right now. So, can, can you remember the one at which you laughed the loudest at all, or no? <laughs> you know, I saw. Here's the thing: I saw it the first day out, and I was, and like you, I've actually only seen it once. I had planned to see it more than once, but 
I was more I was more ready to talk about it that, on that Friday than <laughs> oh, than, uh, than today, if you if you can believe it. But still, I'm, I, I'm, and Amy, I, I'll tell you, I, I think I'm probably in between the two of you. I, I thought the the destruction, the massive destruction, went on a little bit. I know they did need to emphasize it, but the the sad thing is, in in movies, you you tend to get desensitized when you see all all of this destruction. And fortunately, mm-hmm. it wasn't my New York City again. It was you know um, Metropolis. Uh, it was what Metropolis, uh, where you know where it happened. But it looked you know could could have been New York City. Yeah. And after seeing that a zillion times, you at least I get desensitized. So. Uh, I so so for me it was really the first the first ninety minutes that was so riveting, and then the last half hour trailed off a little bit because the ratio of action to to dialogue and 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 um, theme became a little a little bit uh, disproportionate. Right, right, and I I I agree with that, Robert, because. And what I end up doing, I think, a lot of times in these movies, I know that others people, other people's tastes for the action scenes, and especially if you're seeing it in 3D and all the, you know, yeah. the, that, that, that's mm-hmm. part of the thrill of the movie, I guess. But for me, mm-hmm. I end up just kind of almost tuning that stuff out. It's like I'm, I'm skimming an article and I'm looking for the good stuff, you know, and I, I, I zone out a little bit during those times. I really do because I, and, and some of it, you know, you just try to keep track of it enough to see where the plot's going. Can, can I just say something here about uh, the violence and the destruction? And, you know, it's, I like the fact that they take the, the it's, it's consequential violence. The Avengers, in a lot of ways, was you know, you got a whole alien race coming in to destroy the Earth, take it over, and and there was nowhere near as much as uh, the consequence of that than there was here. And here, the whole thing is, what if an alien came to Earth, and this actually happens? Right. What if? Right. Yeah, we got we got a lot of sirens coming from uh, from Robert's and, phone there. Um, I was thinking about, you know, this is a war movie. Right. Uh, Post 9-11, the war movies that we have today, we don't have any war movies. The war movies are The Avengers, The Dark Knight Rises, and Man of Steel, the last three big super movies. In lieu of war movies, this is what we're having. So in that sense, I think it's, I think it's some of the critics really don't like it because of that, because it, it reminds them that we are at war. And this is what war looks like. It is horrific. You know, people are dying left and right, thousands of people in one shot. Um so yeah, I mean, it could be too much for for some, and yeah, I think there were certain aspects in there. What, what, when he was fighting that one, um, the world changer, whatever it's called, they could have been a little more creative with that. You know, what I mean, instead of him just fighting this one thing. But overall, I think I like the fact that they take this seriously. This is the end of the world. I mean, you know, violence. Mm-hmm. If, if the if the other side wins, it's over. Right. You know, and that's I think it's important to to say that Superman is absolutely needed here. Absolutely needed. Unlike this one reviewer for Entertainment Weekly who said, Superman is someone who would give his life to save a cat from a tree. Unlike that, Superman is actually needed here. And I, I love that aspect. I, I like that too. And and the one thing I wanted to back up and talk about was the thing that I laughed at. Yeah. The thing that I laughed at the most was when uh, Superman Kal-El he uh, actually at that point he's Clark. just called Clark yeah. right. right he's he's working at i guess a, a bar, bar uh, up in, up in north maybe in Alaska somewhere yeah. right so he's working at this bar and 
he go, he uh, intervenes because there's some guy who's picking up on his coworker. Uh, her on the butt. She, yeah, he's slapping her on the butt. He's harassing her and stuff. And and Clark tries to intervene, and the guy wants to get in a fight with Clark, and she beer says she that. says you know it's really not worth it or whatever. Well, so the, so the, wait. the guy pours beer over his head and he tries yeah. to hit him and he bounces back. You know. Yeah, but anyway, Clark decides he's just going to leave. So Clark leaves, and, and you get kind of disappointed. Yeah, but, it's like, no, no, no. You, you can't leave that out, though, the fact that he throws a beer over his head, basically tries to push him, and he throws a can in the back of his head. I mean, it was really, the guy pushed it to the point where, you know, yeah. he could have maybe wanted to do something. No, no, I'm sure I'm sure That's he all. wanted to do something, but instead of doing something, he leaves, yeah. okay? So he's outside, and then later, I think it's like it was light, you know, it was earlier in the yeah. day when the guy was in there, you know, and having this altercation with Clark, and then you see the guy exiting the bar later, and and you get a sense of dread in your mind. And I think the reason I laughed so hard was because it was the unexpected, right? right. I was thinking, oh, Clark is going to beat this guy up. He's been waiting for him to come out of the bar, and he's going to, like, smack him or something. And instead of that, you see what Clark actually did to the guy, which I thought was so hysterical because he did it not to the guy but to the guy's truck. Right. It was awesome. I thought it was wonderful. And and here's let, let's get around to the the controversy because we're already getting over the half hour point here and we've got another caller as well. Quite awful um well, yeah, let's get cuz cuz here's the thing that the end, the climax of it is supposed to be so controversial and everything. And uh you know, again, we're having this spoiler-filled discussion. So here I go, spoiler, 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 big spoiler. The the climax of the thing is is Superman killing Zod, and he's you know supposedly not supposed to kill. Now anybody who is not a huge comic fan who doesn't have drilled into their brain the moral imperative that Superman is not supposed to kill, he's not supposed to kill, he's not supposed to kill. Uh, when you see him kill Zod, you see in the logic of the scene and everything that's the only option. It's like oh phew he killed Zod okay that's cool. Uh, what I I was actually glad though to see that instead of him beating up that guy at the bar, which is just kind of dumb, yeah. he used his powers in other ways to get right. back at the guy. It right. was really kind of funny. Now you might say, okay, Superman's supposed to be bigger even than that, Whatever. but you got to give him that. I I I really did like that. So let's see, we've got another call here. Let's see who is. So we're not going to talk about the. Oh, we are going to talk about that. We are going to talk about that. Hi, who's this? Hey, this Hello? is Ed. Can you hear me? Yes, Hi. I can hear you. Hi, Hello. Hi, Ed. How are hey. you? Hey, Amy. You sound nice at 1X as well. Um, I wanted to – I've been tweeting back and forth with Bosch over the last couple of weeks on this uh, issue of him killing. And I think the, uh, you know, the, original, the original idea back in, in the 30s when Superman you know, was invented was that he has this tremendous power and, and, and thus responsibility not to go uh, just – you know, killing all the human criminals and whatnot, but but bring him to justice, right? Because justice, truth, justice in the American way. Um, but I think we've gotten past that in our culture a little bit, in the sense that the the bad guys are now becoming so bad that um, the idea that you you know try to take Zod and and you know put handcuffs on him and bring him in front of some tribunal is, is just so absurd. And the other comic book movies that are that are very pro-American, like Captain America and Avengers, they're all they also 
uh, you know, kill the bad guys. So it's it's not something that is alien to our modern comic book sensitivities, even though it is sort of different from the Superman mythos. Right. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And you know, Robert. I mean, um, not not Robert. I'm sorry, Ed. Uh, one thing I was going to uh, mention, uh, Bosch. You had talked to me earlier about the issue of a moral code mm-hmm. and how, in effect, the moral code that existed was almost a rejection of morality. Yeah. Right. So, can I mean, you elaborate if, on that? If you're, you know, comic book writers, right? I, I hear them in interviews and sometimes even in the comics. The moral code is not killing, and that's it. That is the bottom line moral code that they hold, and that's the one that is unbreakable. If they do that, then what? Then is the end of the world, and they're evil. But if that's your moral code, then you, you don't really have a moral code. If that is the limit of your moral code that you will not kill, no matter what, then it's it's like in lieu of yeah, moral code because because one feels one one feels one has to have a moral code. So therefore, well, my moral code is not killing, and yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, and that it's, is it's, it's a rejection. Uh, it's a rejection, I think, of the concept of self-defense. And I think you see yeah. that throughout pop- popular culture, um, right. not to bring in, not to bring in unrelated issues, but you see that, you know, portrayal of, of people carrying firearms on television in the movies. You know, if you're not a cop and you're not a military person, well, then it's, you can't possibly right. be a good guy if you're carrying a firearm. And that's kind of the equivalent thing, right? You have life and death. And if, if you're in a bar and you're carrying a firearm and somebody dumps beer on your head, what you have to do is walk away. You know, yeah. you you have to walk away. You you no. can't take that provocation and turn it into a deadly thing. And no. of course, your Superman, your your fists are the equivalent. Your your finger exactly. is the equivalent. You're, you you are a weapon. firearm, and that's right. You are a weapon, and you have to you have to behave in such a way that you don't callously take human life, even when provoked. No. And right. uh, I think which I think is that's the I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I apologize. Which is why you know they have Superman react the way he does after. He's not joying. He's not you know he's not like happy about it. He don't like it. He screamed out in anguish, and maybe that was that was written for the people who who think Superman cannot kill. This might appease him to some extent. Well, it clearly hasn't, because there was a reviewer for Entertainment Weekly who said Superman killed and was indifferent about it. That's an absolute it's a lie. lie. It's a total that's an lie. Absolute, and that, that's a lie, uh, the kind of lie where I think they really do not want people to watch this, to, dis- to discourage people from viewing it, because it rejects a lot of liberalism in a lot of ways. It, it, rejects, a, it rejects a lot. Of, it, it, it promotes you know, independence, individualism, choice. It rejects collectivism it, it and reje- altruism. It absolutely it re- rejects, it rejects completely. It. Yeah. And also, as Ed brings up, it, it rejects the whole idea that it's, uh, I mean, self-defense is important. It's important, and this movie takes that on. And right. even even Lois, I mean, Lois killed at least three Kryptonians on that on that on that ship. No one bitches about that. No one says, "Oh, Lois is evil now." No, she killed them because it's it's kill or die. Right, right. Robert in the chat room and who who we spoke to earlier, he's bringing up the fact that it, you know this this so called ethics that right. they hold, this idea that you you shouldn't kill, it's. It's like a commandment. It's yeah. not. It's not a moral code. Right. And I would think that people on the left and the right hold their ethics in exactly this way. Yes. It's you know, thou shalt not do this, right. thou, or thou shalt do that. Uh, and 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 they don't understand things in principle. They don't understand the principle of the non-initiation of force. So certainly, 
if you can avoid it, you're not going to kill somebody else. But if you need to do it in self-defense or defense of others when it's, you know, not a sacrifice, then you will kill. And and Superman, he was he was forced to in this. He case. was forced to. And you know what? It's it's also one of the pathetic things that comic book writers and reviewers have said. Well, the the writers didn't even think about how can we have him not kill Zod. That wasn't the issue. That wasn't the the. You mean the fact is they put him in a situation where let's let's test. Superman. Let's see what he's really made of. Superman does not kill. Let's test that. Let's see what he would do in that situation where he, quote unquote, cannot kill. Right. He has a choice there. One of my everyone... criticisms. Yeah, go on. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. One of my criticisms of the movie uh, was that there was too much uh, sort of hand-to-hand combat and not enough thinking. I mean, you know, if you're if you're going against an enemy and they're they're just as powerful as you and and destructive, um, instead of you know, going at them with your fists, which had been shown to be ineffective, you know, five scenes earlier. Maybe you do something a little more thoughtful in trying to trick them, as they did, um, for instance, in, in the Superman 2 movie, there, there was a, is a kind of a, well, a trick. Well, but, I Ed, Ed, there, 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 actually, there actually was some thinking involved in sending the bulk of them to the Phantom Zone, yeah. right? But, of course, That's the thinking right. was... The, yeah, the thinking was on the part of Jarrell, who told the uh, Amy Adams uh, character Lois that, you know, go ahead, this is how you do it. This is the way. And why don't you go ahead and teach Kal-El how to do this? And it wouldn't be a Superman movie without Superman being shown unleashed against uh, equally, you know, powerful, you know, enemy. I mean, it was just, to me, it was a, it was an incredible to see these, these two super powered beings that going back and forth to the point where it was, I mean, if they kept going for a few hours, Metropolis yeah. would have been wiped out. But I, I think the face I think Ed's point is well taken in the sense of if, if you contrast Superman as portrayed in this movie with Iron Man, Iron Man achieved so much of what he did through his mind. Yeah, he did. Whereas here, if Superman achieved anything, it was through his strength of character. Yeah. It was also through his sheer effort and determination, right? You know, right. his physical strength. But in terms of achieving something through a strategy, through some kind of device, it was only because of the strategy given to him from his father. His father gave him the, no the ability. Now, he had to figure out how to apply it. At that point, right? Zod does say, you have taken my soul from me. I have nothing else to live for. I'm going to kill everyone here. He said, and told him, I'm killing everyone. And there's no way you could stop that through any kind of strategy at that point. You have to actually physically. Well, yeah. You know, once once Zod yeah, not Superman to the does Phantom not. Zone, yeah. You know, at that point, Superman like, does okay. not lead from behind. No. Um, no. See that? Okay. He he definitely takes the uh, the job. And I've seen all the Superman movies except the Quest for Peace, which I was morally opposed to. Uh. Seeing. And uh, and all the TV shows and everything, I've been Supermaning it up. And I really do think this was an outstanding film. I thought it really captured um, the character, the actor. Uh, the actors were great. Um, the script may have been a little bit long in places, um, but uh, I, I really, I really thought it was outstanding. I can't wait for uh, for uh, the next one of this, yeah. and I hope they keep the same sense of life and the same sort of sense of, of justice and morality. I, my guess is that they will be. Under attack, the writers and producers. Although, oh yeah, I mean the third, well, Iron, the third Iron Man that, wasn't quite as, as good as the second one. You know what I mean? Right. Um, this the second Iron Man movie was just outstanding in philosophy, and uh, the third one was 
was very mediocre, and one yeah. wonders what's going on behind the scenes in Hollywood. Yeah, the third the third was entertaining, but, Maybe they but nothing are epic. You know, one critics. one thing, um, and and thanks Ed for calling. And I do want to go on to that issue of whether or not the writers are taking a beating right now. Oh, they are. And Bosch knows this whole story. He has been following this story oh, yeah. for a long time. And he says that indeed the writers now the 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 writers are taking a beating with respect to the one concrete though as I see mm-hmm. it right yeah this well okay and two, then there's two saying, things yeah. two, there's two things that you've mentioned to me that I see the writers taking up taking a beating on uh, one is of course the fact that he kills and always oh, thou shalt not kill <laughs> um, but the other is the idea that he didn't go out of his way right. to save the cat from the tree and exactly. there there was there to was only lives. there was only a little bit of token you know taking a yeah. break from fighting with Zod to do this or that I mean, you know what can he do is like i mean he saved the children on the bus he saved the men on the oil rig he saved Lois Consley he saved a soldier and in the end he saves billions of lives in the end right. and that's not enough for some people why because he killed he broke that one rule and in their mind in their mind the people who hold not killing as the ultimate you know, you know moral code he, that movie invalidates their moral code. Therefore, they have to reject it. It's like, oh, Superman killed. Therefore, I can't say, I can no longer say Superman doesn't kill. I can't do that anymore because that's the epitome of morality to them. It's pathetic because what would you rather have them do? What they're saying is that, that they want that family to have been wiped out by Zod. And that's it. In that situation, well, see what they what they wanted is they wanted the writers to never put Superman that, to that. That's test. what I'm saying, which is pathetic. Yeah. You never protect your character like that. I mean, think about this: Superman is not a, a precious flower; he's a diamond. You put you got to put him through the test. You got to prove this guy is Superman. He's Superman for a reason. It's not just a name. It's not just. I mean, this guy has to have. Uh, I think Diane Lane said in the interview about his morality has to match, you know, and empower his physical strength he has to be that strong morally and it's true because if he wasn't he could rule the earth i mean he'd be like zod he would be the the king of 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 earth if he didn't have that but he does have that and he he refrains a lot of times in a movie and his father actually pushed him to do that but in terms of altruism in terms of jonathan kent now in the in the trailer was last year it came out and uh there's a scene where you, you realize that Clark saves his classmates on the, on the bus. Right. And Jonathan comes up and he's disappointed. He goes, uh, Clark, I told you, you've got to keep this a secret. And he goes, what am I supposed to do? Let him die? And there's a pause and Jonathan Kent says, maybe. And that was hugely controversial. Because, oh my God, he wants him to kill kids. That's how far they went. Stupid. But he is so concerned with his son's well-being, he's willing to say, and well... And his long-term well-being. His long-term yeah. well-being and the Earth, because who knows if he's here, who might be coming next? Maybe guys who are not like, like Clark, meaning Zod. So he wants to make sure that you know this kid will not be picked up by the government, dissected to who knows what, because maybe they can figure his weakness out or something. And then at, uh, he actually, in the movie... It really puts him to the test about what he was saying over and over again about Clark. It's not time. You've got to hide it. you got to hide it. Maybe the writers could have written that particular scene better. Maybe, you know, when he actually lets himself go, when he looks at Clark from that distance. And Clark is about to go, and he looks at him. He waves him, waves yeah. him off. And Clark just, you know, loses it. But he meant it. Yeah. John the Kent really meant it. It was not BS. It was not, okay, say, save me now. I mean, right, save right. me now. It's okay. I mean, you didn't, I told you maybe, maybe you couldn't have saved those, but it's, you can save me now. 
He didn't. He actually believed it. He wanted to protect his son from all costs. And I don't know if it was quote-unquote altruistic. I think he, Clark was his great value. His wife and, and his family was his great, great value. And he knew the value that Clark had for Earth also. You know, if anything were to come, he can save, he can save the Earth. So I think that was interesting as hell. It's a tough situation because people are saying, well, I would have won anyway. I would have saved him anyway. Okay, I understand that. But after years and years being told that, I think Clark understood. Okay. He has, he has to give his dad his wish. And, he, you know, and all those people were there terrible. watching. All those people they were there watching. And so they could have said, away. They, they, they would have seen. Um, let me ask you two yeah. two questions. So in some of the discussions that we've had, You've talked about a co-writer of the script. Yeah. What is his name? Christopher Nolan. No, but the other. David Goyer wrote the actual, he wrote the screenplay. Okay. But the story was written by Christopher Nolan and David Goyer. Okay. And David Goyer wrote the actual screenplay. Okay. And then what you talked about is that David Goyer talked Nolan into accepting a screenplay in which Superman actually kills right. Zod. Because. And, there's, and, and we know that this has been the topic of huge controversy, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think, and I mean, this is just a, a shoot from the hip. We need to have Nolan here to ask him. Mm-hmm. But based on what you've seen, do you think that in the next movie that Nolan's going to pull back because of all the heat that they've gotten because of this? Well, no? you know, the word is also besides that, that Nolan might pull back anyway. As in, he started the character off on this thing. Now, Legendary, which is which is a film company that he's involved with, is apart from Warner Bros. now, just recently, this last week. So he might have done it anyway, but uh, I think he was basically the canon in Superman. Is He's not a real hardcore comic book fan, but he knew enough to say Superman does not kill. And that's why he said, we can't do that. So then David Gore and Zack Snyder convinced him with that particular situation that that's, that's what we're going to do. He goes, okay, so he greenlit it. You know, I don't know if that was your question, but I'm, well, right, right. So I'm, I'm saying, what do you predict for the second the, well, the movie? Do you think that they're going to try to take it back? Or, I know, no, but I think they might actually. You know, Zack Snyder did say something interesting. He goes, well, since we, since Superman does not do that, and now he did, you have it in, in your mind now. He's maybe capable of doing it again, or he might use it as a reason to not do it again, to not kill. You know what I mean, he might that might be the basis of his quote unquote "do not kill" rule. You know I mean, never kill. Because it pained him so much. I mean, when I when I saw it happen, first of all, again, I don't have that commandment in my mind because I'm not so steeped in Superman lore that I would say, oh, it can't kill at all. You know, to me, of course, if he needs to, he should of course. in the appropriate situation. That's what having a principle is. But uh, when I saw him be upset, you could say, yeah, he's upset because he had to kill a guy. I mean, come yeah. on. And there was the last remnant of Krypton. We have, yeah, exactly. That was my other point. Yeah. So my other point was that that was yeah. – <laughs> this is mostly your show, Bosch, the second hour here today, but I have a couple points. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the Krypton issue, that, that he has now killed the last remnant of his yeah, world. Right, so yeah. And as far as we know, everything that was left of his world, all the stuff that his dad left for him and everything, is gone in the Phantom yeah. Zone or dead with Zod, and that's it. It's all yeah. done. It's gone. Yeah. Now, there's all the genetics right. in – him, yep. the genetics of the whole society, and him. So that leaves some sort of opening for the next uh, show. But um, it, so that that was a point. But let me let me ask you another question, sure. and, and this is based on something that Robert posted here in the chat room. I'm going to bring Robert on again. Hi, Robert, you still there? Was it Debbie or Robert? This is yes, Robert. I am. Right? Yeah. Okay. Hey, good. Robert. Can so, you hear me? So, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I can hear you fine. So hopefully you don't have sirens and stuff in the background anymore. But no, I, I will mute if I hear something. Waving up okay. to Robert. Yes. What's going on? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Can, <laughs> I'm in New York. You're, you're yeah, you're the troublemaker, Robert. No, but uh, so here here in the chat room. You're making a comparison, and actually you're talking about, it's a friend of yours that had this com- comparison, uh, that this, that Superman is more like the fountainhead because the, mm-hmm. atmos- the atmosphere in the fountainhead is so positive and brilliant and it's filled with sunlight, mm. whereas in Atlas Shrugged, a whole, a whole lot of Atlas Shrugged is very dark very much more mm-hmm. like a bat, a bat cave. So so the analogy would between the Superman movie, which is largely very positive and sunlit filled, and, uh, and yeah. that the analogy to Batman is more like Atlas Shrugged because like of the the bat cave, etc. And I was going to the, the ask, bat cave and the villains too. I'm 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 sorry to jump in here. The, sure, the sure. villains yeah. in in Atlas Shrugged also, and the villains. Remember the old TV show? They were crooked. The screen was yeah. crooked when they had the villains on. And, right, and, right, right. Uh, so so that you know that was an, another aspect as well. But also mm-hmm. look at look at uh, Francisco. I mean, it's Bruce Wayne more or less, a Playboy front. Yes. A absolute right. hero, and he's dark, and he's tall, and he's handsome, you know, and he's he's fit, and that's pretty interesting. He's mm-hmm. really brutal in that sense. So, so Bob, and you, you could say, say you could say Ragnar too. You could even oh, say yeah. Ragnar too. I love that analogy. I love that analogy. No doubt about it. It's absolutely true. You know, they're mm-hmm. both. I mean, they both got their darkness to some extent, but Superman is absolutely by nature just brighter. Just the, the character himself. Yeah. And the fountainhead is yeah. uh, compared to Alice Shrug, which is very dark. Um, that's I like that. I, li- I like that a lot. Very cool. Good. So then I, I, I was going to say we could draw out the analogy further, which is that even though we do see a lot of the philosophy to which we subscribe, we like Ayn Rand's philosophy yeah. of objectivism, we see that embodied yeah. in this Superman movie very well. Mm-hmm. We could mm-hmm. nonetheless... We can nonetheless see a lot of people who watch the Superman movie cheer for the individualist independence message and yet would not subscribe to our philosophy entirely at all. It's like the people who are the fans of the Fountainhead. Even Brad Pitt is a fan of the Fountainhead, and yet he's a total total liberal pro-Obama. Yeah. What do you think? Or people who like, well, yeah, or people who like the novels, as long as they stay novels instead of right. a guide to life. Right. right. True. True. They're fans, it? you know. That's about it of the novels. Yeah, they're of, just of, fans, of the and, and right. just keep it in, you just keep it in fantasy world. But but yeah. you, you can't live that way. You got you got to be human after all, right? Yeah. Now here, here's one thing though. Here's a disanalogy. I would say that the Superman movie does a pretty good job of illustrating a, the theme of the fountainhead in terms of, you know, independence, the individual versus the collective, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But integrity would, as well? Yes, integrity. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, integrity for sure when you think of Jonathan Kent, right, uh, really acting mm-hmm. according to his belief there. But I would say that the Batman movies do not uh, do a, as as great a job of, of illustrating the theme of Atlas Shrugged, although there, there's, I, I would say... Uh, they're a good guy. you got, you got the, Gordon Dark, Dark and Catwoman and, and uh, John Blake, and they all get together to fight this evil. To I mean, it's, it's like a, a group also in terms of uh, in terms of just one superhero, or you get a, a number of them. Oh, sorry, I just want to say one thing also about the about Man of Steel just quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the fact that they honor the U.S. military. 
they are heroic in this movie. I mean, really heroic, and that's that hasn't been the case in a long time. They always mm-hmm. painted to be these, the scum of the earth, and they're not here. They're very admirable. Uh, and yeah, and if if the military is doing anything that's not great, it's at the behest right. of their superiors. Exactly in Washington. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one last thing, also. I'm I'm sorry. Just apologize, but. Uh, Superman. There was an image of Superman in the 80s, right, that resonated with a lot of people and it changed. I mean, I hate seeing Superman cry. It was an image of him in a splash page, convulsed, <laughs> you know, sniffling, crying. I hate seeing that. And But those people who love that hate seeing him kill. And there's something there. There's something terrible there. They love seeing him because, yeah. oh, I can relate to him, you know. That's the only time they can relate to him, when he's crying in the corner. You know what I mean? It's just, it's it's pretty mm-hmm. pathetic. And, you know, they, they need to relate to him. It's like, well, he's morally ambitious, he's super-powered, he's an alien. Well, therefore, since I can't relate to him, he sucks. Because a lot of people say, well, Superman's boring. No, you're boring. And the writers who write Superman are very boring. This movie, he, he wasn't boring. He, I think they wrote him very well. And I just, it's, it, it's the writers who are boring, it's the editors who are boring, the characters not boring by nature. You know, one thing, one th- thing that I really liked was the aspect of really seeing what it would be like to be Superman. Yeah. So they do the, the flashback when he's a kid and how hard it mm. is for him to focus yeah. on any particular mm-hmm. thing given given his super senses. They make the, they make it that was, seem very horror. they make yeah. that seem very believable and they make it also as uh an example of something that his earth parents helped him with. Right. That that you know his mother focus. helped him to focus and and be able to you know in, in essence not be distracted by his super senses yep. and that it was and an God achie- couldn't right God, God couldn't do that when he when he got there mm-hmm. right. he was overwhelmed right. yep. and and that was an achievement uh, of Clark to be able to hone his senses over the years to right. focus on what's essential so there's mm-hmm. that that aspect as well. It's- it's a big movie. It's a big movie. I mean, I just mm-hmm. I, I love the way they did the music, everything, the actor. The actor was great. Henry Cavill was great. I Robert, mean, we uh, yeah. we got to let you go now because we've got Thank maybe you. about, about a minute. Thanks for calling in, Robert. And everyone, I don't know if we've done justice to the film and even an hour's well, we worth got, of discussion. We got two hours next week or two. Why? Um, anyway, there are people in the chat room who are saying that they're going to go see the film again, including Ed. So that's great to see that we've uh, encouraged. By the people. way, the, a lot, of, a lot of the critics, I see a lot of critics. Their whole purpose was to discourage people from watching it. I mean, there were some really nasty personal attacks on his film, and you, that's not a criticism. I mean, it's something else. It's something, something, something worse than than your typical movie. Movie critique. Yeah, they tried to discourage people. We tried to encourage people. So hopefully we've done our part here. And it's done a ton of money, so that's not bad. If uh, if you would like to comment on this show, you can go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and leave comments there. You can either follow the blog, you can follow the Facebook page, Don't Let It Go Unheard. You can follow me on Twitter, Amy Peakoff. Follow on Blog Talk Radio. Just click the follow button right here. Whichever you prefer. Uh, But at my blog, you can not only comment on the show, but you can also find a link that will allow you to contribute to the podcast. We appreciate all the contributions, and we are glad to increase to the two hours a day. So next next week will be Ocon. I will be sending you dispatches, and we'll return for the live show in two weeks. Have a great day, everyone. Take care.